everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Katherine Druckmann. Uh, I think you know who I am by now, hopefully. If you don't, there's a link somewhere on our uh, website, which is reality2cast.com, and I hope you'll check that out. So joining me today is Doc Searles, as always, except for only one time, which is, you know, brilliant. My last name now, as always. As a, yeah, as always. This is my as middle always. name. Yeah, I'm as always. And um, <laughs> we have uh, some of your, I hope, returning uh, favorite guests one is Kyle Rankin and the other is Sean Powers. If you don't know who they are, then I also encourage you to go to reality2cast.com and find out. Um, but yeah, so we have we have a, a pretty short agenda today. And really, we really just want to talk about this Signal Celebrite thing because it's too juicy not to. And um, yeah, so if you haven't seen the Signal blog post that's going around, we're going to link to it in the description here. But the short story is that Moxie Marlin Spike uh, hacked a Celebrite device, Celebrite being the device used to hack into people's phones, um, which is used by law enforcement and oppressive regimes all around the world uh, to violate people's privacy, among other so they, things. Or so they claim. That's what it so says So they there. claim. I'm being the journalist here saying that they Fair say enough. so. Yeah. <laughs> I know, like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so these these devices are controversial. They're uh, you know anyway. So with that, uh, let's get into it. So we just watched a really fun video that we will also link to, but it is in the Signal blog post. And um, I think for some of us, or at least for me, it kind of uh, I don't know. It inspires my inner techno rebel to go. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, but you know, there there's a lot more to discuss here, and I think we'll we should just get into that. But before we do, oh, let me remind you, please, again, go to reality2podcast.com and sign up for our newsletter, which we send out hopefully every week. And we include a quick little list of links and whatever other supplementary information we think is relevant that week. And we hope that you enjoy that, too. So let's get into it. What do you guys think, Kyle, Sean, Doc? I mean, to start with, it really kind of harkens back to old school moxie an old school kind of hacker ethos from maybe two decades ago. Uh, this is the sort of thing that uh, you would see a lot of times is like a sort of a playful kind of um, flipping off the establishment kind mm. of thing. Uh, but it's rare to see that these days because everyone's very kind of in, in security is very buttoned down and very, you know, straightforward about things. But yeah, I mean, just just the one, it's a very good security write-up of the vulnerabilities in terms of just technically. Two, the snark level is just at an absolute <laughs> <Heroic>. maximum. <laughs> yeah, so it's just a fun read because it just it begins with the fact that the Celebrite device fell off the back of a truck while he was jogging one day. Um, yeah, and not then, a fact. Then, no, not a fact. <laughs> not a fact. Like likely not. <laughs> a claim, but I mean, yeah. A claim. And Look then up, it, fell off it, a truck and see how many results you get. Yeah. Yeah, and th and then it sort of, before I get to the middle, it ends with um, implications that they might be violating Apple licensing by including libraries without Apple's permission, which apparently there has been some follow up on that already, and they have, to my understanding. Um, maybe have discontinued some Apple support right now, maybe while they figure all of that out. Uh, and a veiled threat to maybe have at some what Moxie called aesthetic files that improve mm -hmm. the aesthetics of a signal that may also <laughs> coincidentally, you know, 
cause Celebrite yeah. to flag stuff. But just to kind of go back to what Celebrite does is this is, like you said, so law enforcement can, if they, or governments uh, capture someone's phone, they can uh, image it, use this device, uh, use this software and hardware to image the device and scan and capture all of the files and data. They recently got signals attention because they claim signal support too. And a lot of people, uh, when they think about signal, one of the things they think about is, well, it's end-to-end -end encrypted, so no one can snoop on my conversations. And that's true unless someone has your phone, because if they have your phone, uh, it's you're at one of the two ends. So it's it's not yeah. encrypted at the end. Uh, so that's if they physically have your phone, right? And it, yeah, right. that's a big point yeah. they make. Yeah. It's in, yeah. If somebody, if you, it's in somebody else's hands now. Yeah. So if they physically have your phone, then they can can look at your conversations and, and copy files off. And that's what this device does is it will copy in all kinds of different files and conversations from apps, including signal and then parse them out and let you review them later. Uh, but it turns out that that in addition to that, uh, there's some of the when you're parsing files, there's all kinds of openings for exploitation. It's incredibly difficult to uh, to parse files secure, open up files and read the contents securely. And they apparently have had an, this that the Celebrite uh, software had a number of was using a number of libraries that had many well-known and old vulnerabilities in parsing. So uh, Moxie's proof of concept was able to, it looks like, uh, take advantage of some of those and get remote execution on the Celebrite device. And then as a further, you know, Pixar didn't happen, there's an excellent, highly recommended you watch the video proof of concept with anyone who likes hackers as much as I do. Uh, the movie, <laughs> uh, you will love the video. It's, it's like I said, it, the write-up is the write-up is gold, but the video really just pushes it over the edge yeah. into legendary status. That's that'll be that'll be with me for many years. <laughs> That's pretty great. So my understanding of this is so for example, so Signal could include um, this little handy package in their um, uh, iPhone app or iOS app, and once a Celebrite device is compromised, it it makes all previous and future reports from scanned devices unreliable because it well, modifies a, it modifies all of the data that is collected from this the, from the the phone that the Celebrite device is uh, imaging, and so it, so if that data is now corrupted in the process because the the Celebrite device itself has been compromised, then everything on it is then therefore and and in the future and from the past is now unreliable, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to sort of chain of custody things. And when you're when law enforcement's doing forensics on a device that they are trying to retrieve evidence from, uh, in the olden days, back when we would use parallel port cables and things like that, or, you know, like the old school ATA cables uh, to access hard drives, um, from that point on, when, when someone would, comp when the FBI, let's say, would confiscate someone's computer, there were special uh, cables that disabled the right pin on for those cables for doing imaging. And the idea was uh, that when they had to stand up in a court of law and say, we took an image of this hard drive and here's what we found, that you could defeat the argument of, well, what about if an attacker or somebody that hacked your machine then went in and what if you implanted the evidence on the drive? 
instead of extracting the evidence from the drive. And, and so they can say, well, we, we use the special cable that makes it literally impossible that the right pin is cut. So we literally cannot modify the evidence. And we took an image and we checked some it. And there, all, there's a whole process when you're doing investigation, forensics investigation on something like this, where you take checksums of everything. So you can demonstrate later on after the fact that something hasn't been modified. The problem in this case, like you're saying, is in theory, if you have remote code execution on the Celebrite device, then in theory, you could then modify the evidence that they're capturing in flight. It's almost like a detect that you're being attacked by Celebrite and then mess with the data that it's capturing. So it could, in theory at least, bring some of that into doubt as to whether that's evidence. Right. Uh, whether that would hold up in court is, what it does is it, it raises doubt, It's but yeah. the, the question is still whether that's enough by itself to throw out using this, uh, using evidence that was captured by Celebrite. I doubt there's one case where someone's already trying to challenge it. Yeah, I doubt I that's going to go very far. But anyway, that's what's yeah, behind I, that. We'll see. I certainly would. I would be the person that would say, uh, you know, you you got my phone and you got all of my, you know, naked cat photos. Um, <laughs> but how do we know that your Celebrite device wasn't compromised? And those are somebody else's naked cat photos that you got supposedly off of my phone but here's all the vulnerabilities that you know this device has so mm -hmm. how can you show that this wasn't you know that it was a valid image i mean that's what i would yeah. want to do again will it hold up i i don't know that you know i'm not a lawyer <laughs> but um right. it certainly would put doubt in the minds of a jury you know or yeah. whatever so in theory and and from my understanding also is that it, these these this uh, interception would be undetectable because they, you know, you know, you wouldn't be able. It's not something that could be verified by checksum or you know anything like that. But um, yeah, that is interesting. No, it's not going to help anybody in like an oppressive regime <laughs> because they're still going to, you know, do the thing. And unless you can, okay, so you're in, you know, whatever country we've decided is oppressive, and you know, the government has taken your device and. I suppose, in theory, based on this vulnerability, it would be possible if you were super sophisticated in, in a spy movie to intercept uh, the Celebrite device, thus, uh, I don't know, altering whatever incriminating uh, information there is on the device. Well, oh, yeah, every I mean, phone I... you plug into it, you know, it injects yeah. naked cat photos. <laughs> I know! Those damn naked cat photos are everywhere now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people... I get into a lot of forum discussions with people that are interested in phone security and a great number of them have this kind of spy threat, doomsday device, uh, duress code kind of uh, scheming. You know, that this it always sort of comes up with where someone says, well, what if I am captured by the authorities or whatever, and instead of entering my normal encryption key, I enter in this other one and it erases everything instead. And that's gonna be super clever. And putting my purism hat on for a second, I often will get, well, why doesn't purism help me implement a duress code like that? Wouldn't that be pretty sweet? And so then I say, well, uh, the problem is of course that at least many jurisdictions consider that tampering with evidence. Yeah, and that's illegal. Uh, and that's illegal. So you, not only can you not do that and it's, it's illegal, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, it's you are talking like spy level stuff. However, like you said, it would certainly be possible for if you have remote code execution on a Celebrite device and you happen to have one you can test this on that fell off the back of a truck, then you could, in theory, 
create something that since you know that the that your phone is connected to this device when it's happening and it has full remote full access to the phone because it's pulling the files off not only erase all the evidence that it's trying to pull down but also erase all the evidence on the phone itself mm -hmm. so you could create something that would in theory at least uh wipe out the wipe out everything including any potential evidence on the phone yeah which would be interesting, interesting stuff these devices are expensive too i mean I, I don't know a number off the top of my head but i know they're really expensive and <laughs> it's apparently not, it's, it's a good example that security be security by obfuscation is not the ideal security model for you know something that is obviously not great software and the only reason that nobody has realized it's pretty crappy is because nobody had access to it that's yeah, not a great physically access yeah thing. yeah well, that's not a great it, model <laughs> And it may also be somewhat expensive because I don't know how much they rely on zero days to exploit some of the phones that they're able to exploit mm. and how much they use something else. But part of besides the fact that if you sell something to a government, you can mock it up, you know, infinite times, well, fair enough. Uh, especially if you're only, only game in town. But beyond beyond all of that, there's also just the case of if they have implanted and the zero days in the Celebrite device to to exploit like more recent iPhones, let's say, then that you know, all of those are super expensive too. So, hmm. all right. Well, I, I just speculate just because I wonder how you know. I wonder <laughs> what truck that was. It fell off. That's all. Yeah. I wonder, like, how do you even get your hands on it? It's kind of a, yeah. That that part of the story is interesting enough, but like, who yeah. knows? I ho hopefully we'll never know because then that could yeah, you cause well, other problems. Hopefully, we probably will never know. Period. I, I um, it seems to me, given that. It may be less. It may be less useful for law enforcement than just for spying. I mean, I guess that. I mean, that's. I would imagine that was that would be the primary use for it, you know, and and or just to, or just for a kind of brute surveillance. Well, we talked we talked previously about how these devices have been, are being used to uh, break into people to student devices in schools. There was a yeah, there was an yeah. article I don't know months ago we had a we had an episode all about it which I'll link to, but so I mean there are a lot of kind of shady applications of these devices so, you know the security flaws aside their use at all, is problematic I mean I'm sure there are plenty of, quote unquote legitimate uses for the device but um, it's something I'm not really comfortable with, in general well, I, it makes also... me uncomfortable that it exists. Well, it's also sort of the trickle-down nature of these sorts of things, right? I mean, a lot of things, especially when you're talking about um, hacking or you're talking about the like security devices like this, where it always starts at a certain high government level. And then unlike, let's say, actual ballistic weapons or something, which take a while, that sort of thing takes a long time to trickle down from large-scale governments all the way down to whomever. But this sort of thing moves pretty fast. And so, like you said, in addition to that, there's also just the case of things that were used at high levels within governments finding their way, like you said, down into schools potentially. Or, you know, I, I'm sure that I, I, this would be a very useful thing to have in uh, if you were in a customs agent at an airport that gets a lot of traffic, uh, where you could confiscate someone's phone, go hook it up for a minute image it, detain them for however long it takes to do that, and then send them on their way, and then have a copy of everything that you can review later, you know? Yeah, sketchy. You know, when we, when people talk about phone security, everybody inevitably brings up the San Bernardino shooters. Right. 
where Apple refused to unlock their device and you know they got an Israeli company to unlock it and you know there's a you know if you if you put enough resources behind something eventually you'll get into it right um but that always makes me think you know if you have to like so we've talked about the personal nature of 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 phones and personal electronics and, and mobile devices and and how it's like the next best thing to hacking into somebody's brain um and how invasive that potentially is but in my, my feeling about a lot of the applications of this type of device hacking by law enforcement is that if you have to rely on evidence and somebody's cell phone for something like walking in and shooting up their office like is that really the best like it feels to me like you're not doing your job correctly but you know what do i know i mean i think in, in a lot of cases it's it's more useful for things like if there's a conspiracy beyond sure. more than, for more right, than if one they're planning to uh, shoot up a, a second or third office i suppose but i don't know no, like I is mean, that yeah. No, I mean more if, if there was more than one person involved at the beginning mm-hmm. and maybe only captured one person, but they actually planned or plotted with multiple people, then a lot of times, I mean, one of the most valuable things with phones is getting a, a social graph of all of the people mm, with whom of course, yeah. this person's communicated with, right? And then if you see, oh, they made a quick phone call before the event happened and then they went and did the thing, uh, there's a even that circumstantially, you know, that leads you but, to think, well, maybe I should see who they contacted. But you don't need, I mean, do you need access to the device to do that? Can't you just subpoena records from the phone company? I mean, I don't know. It, it just seems to me when I think about these things, and again, I, I know, I know very little about how these types of investigations and work in terms of what, what they use this sort of data for. But um, it seems to me we haven't had smartphones that long. So how did they do their job 20 years ago? You know, if if they if this is so important that the rest of us, including students in schools, have to have to put our privacy on the line, why is it so important? That that's well, my my question. What is the is the benefit to society of these things existing? Does that outweigh um, the the what what we're giving up? Well, to answer the question about the subpoena of the phone company, I mean. For example, in iPhone messages is end-to-end encrypted. You know, Signal is end-to-end encrypted. So the phone company and even Apple doesn't have those messages. The content of the messages. Yeah, the content of the messages. So I mean, they may know who it's going to, but uh, they don't. They don't have that content. That's on your on your phone. Also, I did want to point out that you know, looking at the super awesome video, um, it it doesn't look like this device like. Um, gets around your phone being locked or you know encrypted like that it required uh, even in their cool little mock demonstration or whatever it was you still had to um, unlock and acknowledge and trust the device uh, so like it's not like plugging in your phone to this device automatically unlocks everything so if you're at an airport and they put your phone through the thing they're not going to quickly go dun, 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 plug it in <laughs> get an image while it's going through the scanner and give it back to you and you're not going to know because then they just have an encrypted image that they can't do a bub kiss with I, I mean at least that's what it appears to be um i think i mean it's it, it doesn't i don't want to say solve the problem of the san bernardino shooter but i mean it, it doesn't get around the same issue that they dealt with there it's i mean it doesn't it's right. not a magic box it's just a creepy box <laughs> right. Yeah. It did, like you said, it looked like it was already unlocked. So, and, and customs agents aren't going to randomly burn zero days every time they have a new phone that they want to scan for 20 minutes in airport security or whatever. Right. So besides the fact that those things are expensive, uh, 
yeah, you're you're totally right. And and along those lines, uh, if you want to, there's there's some sort of there's some new information on some of the history of the San Bernardino shooter as part of this new book that came out by Nicole Perlroth called "This Is How Me How They Tell Me the World Ends," which <laughs> I read recently. She's she uh, reports for the New York Times, and there was some um, controversy about some of that because uh, she has some inside. Uh, knowledge within the community and some of the folks didn't necessarily agree with all of her statements on things, but regardless, it's still a fascinating dive into the world of zero days into the history of zero day exploits. And it turns out that apparently this, the San Bernardino thing was, there was an Australian firm that was the one that ultimately uh, sold the exploit, I believe something like that, uh, that mm. that contacted them that was able to, hack that particular iPhone so they didn't have to go through the courts and they decided, yeah, we don't want to bother going through the courts for risk losing the precedent. Uh, of course, they didn't find anything on the phone either right. way. Right. Yeah, the phone was useless. It, it turned out. And one wonders how much of that there is in the world too. I, I, I look at this in a way as, um, did, did any of you see the closing episode of the uh, series Silicon Valley? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I remember how that ended. I mean, basically, the you know they they went out of business because that was the that was the right thing to do. Exactly. Because yeah. they basically invented. They basically imagined out a hack that made it possible to disable, basically get past all encryption, if I had that right, and meaning that all privacy goes away, and um, or it, it's at risk of going away, and there really is no secrecy on possible online. But that was sort of the implication as well, and I. And I wonder whether or not that isn't Im implicated in all of these discussions, that there is an end state here that says, if it's digital, it's hackable, and there really is no secrecy or ultimately no secrecy in the digital world as we build it out. And I, I wonder about that. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that without having enough expertise to know whether uh, I'm close to being right with my paranoia. Well, it would mean great news for uh, people who want Bitcoin if we could just <laughs> decrypt the keys yeah. uh, using, you know, a magic box. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but no, I, I mean, mathematically, we're not banking. mathematically we're not there. I think vulnerabilities in how encryption is implemented is is the uh, the thing that's going to uh, be more likely to to cause frustrations with uh, data encryption and that not necessarily the. The encryption itself. I mean, the math is pretty solid. Well, in in the fact that when people try to uh, break these sorts of things, what they they typically aren't necessarily trying to break signal as much as they're trying to get access on the endpoint. You know, there's I'm sure there is some focus on on finding uh, flaws in the uh, encryption uh, algorithms that are used for things like signal, but. Uh, for the most part, you see devices like this where they say, well, if we physically have the device, which we can do in many cases, then we don't need to worry about cracking that. We can go the easier way. Yeah, look, here's uh, the private key. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, and here it is. Everything's right here. Yeah, so I think that's why you're seeing a lot of focus on you know, going after the individual devices uh, and finding flaws there because then you have everything. You have everything in its unencrypted state. It's sort of like, you know, it, those of us who have had to do security checkboxes for having encryption at rest on servers and things like that, and you set up your encryption at rest on your server and you check that box and uh, from whatever audit saying that you've done that, and then you, but you still realize that, okay, great, now I'm safe in case 
uh, we ever decommission that server and the drives go somewhere or someone breaks into this data center and steals mm -hmm. my server. But if someone hacks into the server, then it's not encrypted because it's encrypted at rest. You know, it's all running. the files are right there. <laughs> it's running, right? Yeah. So, so all the data is not protected in the most obvious use case and the most obvious attack, right? And that's the same thing here. You know, we have these phones in most cases have encrypted storage too, but that's only good um, if they're uh, locked or off. You know, if they're unlocked, then uh, everything's right there for the taking. Well, and but whether or not the the math is solid and 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 you know the technical aspect of it is solid. Um, it doesn't go very far if, if governments like, for example, Australia passed a, uh, basically an anti-encryption law that most privacy experts are uh, deeply concerned about. So I, I suppose that's, you know, that's the concern is if, you know, whether or not things are protected technically, if there are, you know, scary legal penalties for not just violating your encryption intentionally, or you know, however, however they they uh, they enforce their their law, then then I, I you know then it doesn't really matter, right? If the if the math is solid. Well, it just what you end up with is a rehash of the crypto wars from you know a couple of decades ago, where you end up taking a cryptography algorithm and publishing it, publishing it on paper. And then distributing the mm. book because um, it's like this legal loophole, so that it could be exported. That that encryption right, that was... algorithm could be exported, right? Yeah, so you kind of get story. a repeat of that. But ultimately, if people try that, what would happen is that you know you implement some sort of cryptography backdoor, some major place that is required to enforces that, and then most governments have shown that they're pretty good about getting hacked by other people and other governments. <laughs> And and when they do, it's pretty devastating in most cases. So what would happen is that government, you know, whatever, whichever government would implement this sort of thing, that's the target for all the other governments. If I can hack yeah. this government that imp implemented this backdoor, then I can get a copy of this key that's not just sitting in some vault somewhere, obviously, because it's being used uh, to decrypt things. So it's sitting in a number of vaults. And uh, as all of the disclosures of all of the NSA hacking tools from you know a number of years ago post Snowden, but uh, these things eventually will get out. I mean, even the NSA wasn't right. able to keep all of their tools a secret, and so the ultimately the encryption key for any storage will get out, and it'll be there for bad guys as well as good guys. Yeah. Let's be clear: if P versus NP is solved, we're all screwed forever. <laughs> Just to be clear, you know that's the whole reverse engineering encryption problem, which there's no solution for. But um, yeah, this, just reiterating that it, it's still key. I, I don't want anybody to be listening to worry that, you know, encryption itself is now compromised. It's the it's the it's the meat portion of it. You know, it's the people who uh, do or don't have these uh, you know, they don't keep their private key private. I, I, I think that's the, that's the issue. It isn't, I, it's not math. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, no, the math is fine. Protect the math. The math has done nothing wrong here. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and in general with these things, everyone goes after the easiest way to get in whatever that is. So in the case of, I, for example, in the case of the San Bernardino case, the issue had to do with the fact that they could only try so many password attempts before it was locked out. 
But if they could try infinite password attempts, then they had a pretty good chance of getting in because most people would pick not that great of a pin. You know, especially on a phone, you're entering in a touchscreen, so it's probably going to be maybe four digits, maybe six, um, but not eleven. And an iPhone which is, is your only choice at the time. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. iPhones max out at six. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Michael, Michael Lee at around the time made some sort of post along the lines of if that's your threat model, then essentially you need an 11 digit pin minimum. Uh, otherwise then it's, they can, the machines they have now with the number of guesses they can try at once can, will be able to get in quickly enough. Yeah. But maybe they just method. don't have one. And Apple yeah. br bricks the phone at 10, right? They give you 10, 10 tries. Yeah. But if you can image it and so you're always on try one. <laughs> You know where you can yeah. keep trying. I mean, that's the point. And so, Kyle, you you hit the nail on the head too. You we go for the easiest exploit. I just I just uh, helped teach a or create a course for CBT Nuggets on pen testing, and you know everybody thinks oh pen testing it's like the like the hackers movie right where you're doing all this <laughs> stuff. Generally, the easiest way is exploiting people, right? I mean, it's yeah. being a real creepy person who uses, <laughs> uh, you know, who tricks somebody into giving them a password or access or, you know, shoulder surfing that it, again, it's the meat space that causes the majority of problems. And that's the, usually the easiest thing to exploit is the people. Yeah. Yeah. True. Or, or, or other than the other beyond the people, there's just other software that's connected to the software you want to get into that doesn't have anything to that's easy to break. I gave a a kind of a pen testing primer a number of years back before a CTF tournament I was running inside of a company and essentially taught them how to hack by pointing at a local uh, wireless access point I happened to buy that was running a really weak security. And it was very easy to modify the URL to launch a little local shell without, you know, much effort at all. And it sort of demonstrated the point that they then ran with and found vulnerabilities across the board. But yeah, every, you know, you don't have to go very far to practice those skills. They're all sitting in devices in your home today. And for a company, the, your vendors often have access to your systems. And if they're not, you know, designed with security in mind, very often the the next person in the chain who has access to your secure data because they need to, if they're not secure, well, that's a, a great you know avenue to get into your thing because again, they need access to do whatever it is they're doing for you. And you can't always uh, make sure that they're smart. <laughs> well, like, these, like the um, surveillance company that had an employee that because the way that it worked, all of the camera feeds were also going to a central location that was managed by, you know, not the company that bought the service, but the company that was hosting the service. And they had an employee that was just kind of looking through all those videos uh, when they weren't supposed to because they had worked there and they happened to have access, you know, and they did it for quite a while. What was the, like the Twitter videos. thing with the, the God mode password not long ago or all the, the, all the famous accounts started tweeting the Bitcoin thing, like send Bitcoin and I'll, I mean, like Barack Obama tweeted because it was a disgruntled employee who had the God mode password at Twitter, which is just ridiculous that that existed. But Or, or the Uber God mode that they maybe disabled eventually that once you enabled, you could just track all the cars going everywhere all the time and where <laughs> it was going and just on a map, you know? That's like a diehard yeah, movie, right? I mean, that's just <laughs> that is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. Is it, but that that also brings up a, you know, the, I mean, the, the the God mode experience there, at 
brings up another point that to celebrate, um, not to celebrate, I'm sorry, the, uh, um, that the, uh, that the, the signal blog, uh, brought up, which is that celebrate had really done pretty horrible housekeeping period. I mean, they, they hadn't, they hadn't done very good audit over their own practices in, in addition to whatever other evils they were up to, which made them a lot yeah, less trustworthy. I mean, well, I mean, cobbler's children, you know, in shoes and all of that, right? So, I mean, yeah. this is often the case. You'll have a lot of people that are security experts that will advise developers on how to write secure code, but they're, the code that they write is also insecure. You know, it's- They have it's passwords in their very, config files. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make the same sort of mistakes. It's, it's very, you know, it's easy. It's a different skill for being able to find a problem than it is to be able to do something without the problem. You know, it's, it's very different yeah. to find bugs in, in code than it is to write bug-free code. And it's the same thing here. Yeah, they, you know, they, I guess, ne didn't necessarily have to worry. They weren't worried about the threat of someone attacking their own devices. So they didn't really spend a lot of time on defense. And you'll see that a lot with a lot of um, security tools. Now that a lot of pen testing firms publish their tools for other people to use, um, you know, it's it's someone that's writing a Python script on the side to help them do their job a little bit faster and get through this audit and move on to the next customer. And it shows, you know, it's not necessarily made to be an enterprise product that end users are going through the code and trying to exploit, you know, it's not, it's, it was never designed to be resilient to an, to an attack itself. It's always just sort of focused on offense. And, and this is it the was solar designed wins. to stay on the truck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, there's the solar winds thing too, right? Which I, it may not even be over at this point. Where, like, that was the biggest breach in U.S. history, and they haven't even begun to find all the places that it's still vulnerable or something like that. The news ages fast. I'm not remembering the particulars on this very well, but I think that was the solar wind story, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that one was enormous. Where everyone who had was running that particular software is like a supply chain attack, and yeah. it had it, it had existed for over a year potentially in some cases. Yeah, and, and, and the, a lot of major companies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, and this is only tangentially related, but my wife ordered something. It was something for her drama class, uh, like a script piece or I don't know, something. But she ordered it online. And a year and a half later, she got an email from the company saying, we encourage you to cancel your credit cards because for the past like 18 months, there has been on our website, a, you know, code we didn't know was there and everybody's credit card number, security code, uh, everything that you need, including including even the zip code <laughs> for the for the client um, has been going to an unknown database. Every single credit card they ever processed, every bit of data on it was gone. I mean, it, it was it was a breach that was just like, wow, wow. And it just yeah. came in a letter. And it just said, BT dubs, <laughs> you should probably change your credit card. Well, along those lines, uh, my wife got a similar email, uh, but it was from a, a, uh, a, a company that she had written for and said, hey, by the way, uh, the system that holds all of our uh, 1099 forms for all of our uh, contractors has been compromised, which means that your oh. social security number is compromised. So here's some free credit reports and you know all the standard stuff that they do uh, in exchange for that. But just just so you know, your everything that that you need for identity theft, which is everything in the 1099 that you would turn in, 
uh, is somebody probably has it somewhere. Enjoy. I think it's in the firmware of the Celebrate device, actually, her 1099. I think I saw it scroll by. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I always get depressed when we have these conversations. They're fun and, and interesting, but then I'm like, oh, I give up. I just don't, I can't have a phone. I, I just, you know, screw it. You don't have to I give mean, up. Apparently, if you, apparently, if you have Signal installed, there's a, there's a random chance true, that you I might know. get a special file for aesthetic <laughs> reasons added to it. I know that, that was uh, exciting. Yeah. I feel like. I like uh, that aesthetic reasons. Yeah. I feel like uh, at least I, you know, we know somebody's uh, looking out for us. <laughs> that, that that gives me some faith in humanity, I guess. I don't know. So I guess the moral of that story, I, you know, I don't know what is the moral of the story. I mean, it, as somebody who who sells a works for a company that sells a phone that's not an iPhone, the moral is probably it can't be like buy it just buy iPhones because I mean. <laughs> I think the moral of the story is electricity is bad. <laughs> That's pretty much. I don't it. know. Yeah. Like what do you, what well, do I you think? think a a, a like, purism phone would be fine. Wouldn't it? I mean, I, uh... I mean, I mean, in a, it depends if you could unlock the disk encryption, then you could read files like anything else. I imagine, you know, I mean, there's. Purism phones it, are fine unless you're using one. <laughs> I mean, every phone is fine unless you're actually using it. Then it's. Yeah. Then yeah it's if it's unlocked. If it's, <laughs> Yeah, if it's unlocked and the disk is no longer encrypted and someone can copy the files off, then some, someone can copy the files off. If it's if it's off, I guess, um, and it's like it's very similar to a laptop in that way. You know, if if you have a laptop and it's off and you have disk encryption, then they would have to guess your passphrase to get in, and it depends on the strength of that. But if it's not, and in that case, even if we have that in place and you have a bad pin or a weak pin that's guessable, then someone could get in, I guess. Or but one no, that I mean, automatically just... unencrypts on boot. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I guess, I mean, to me, the moral of this is that uh, I guess the old school playful hacker stuff isn't completely gone. Uh, so that's <laughs> one thing. Uh, and to, it, so that's kind of fun. Uh, and Super fun. I suppose, yeah, and that you know, this is that your phone is. It underscores how important your phone is for a snapshot of everything about your life, and underscores the the need to have more definitive uh, search and seizure protections against your phone. Which I think the EFF is is in the middle of a case that they're wanting to bring in front of the Supreme Court on this subject about specifically about the ability of customs enforcement and uh, when people are traveling back into the United States, whether or not just because you're traveling in, does that give someone uh, in customs the right to, to confiscate your phone or computer and, and scan it and image it and all of that? I'm curious too. So yeah. Apple usually gets like this really rosy picture of um, all about security in, in these conversations. Uh, at what point even if it's illegal, I mean, the, the whole face ID thing creeps me right out because it's not really difficult to go like this, which on the podcast, you can't see me, but basically hold a phone at somebody's face to unlock it. That's <laughs> not great. Well, it, turns out, <laughs> it, turns out your, it turns out your face is not a secret. It might even be less of a secret than your fingerprint, you know, because yeah. it's everywhere you go. And I know that I know, I know. It, 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 even if it's fancy, right? And it uses 3D modeling of your face or what? I mean, just the idea, same thing with touch ID before face ID with, you know, your thumbprint or whatever on, on the phone. I mean, someone can with, cut off your thumb. Yeah. Or, 
or yeah. you know be fancy and and dust it and put tape on it and all the things you see in the movies but i mean at least with a code it's it's a i mean sure fingerprints on the screen whatever but i mean i don't know the, the whole face id touch id that sure is pretty easy to crack when you have the human's body right there in front of you whether they want, i mean what do you make there's a face been a, there's been cases of that there's i believe there's been it. a case of there's been a case of that one compelling someone to put their finger on and unlock and another, their face was right there. And so they just held the camera up to their face or the yeah. phone up to their face and unlocked the phone. But here's the other thing is the other dirty little secret around that isn't even about getting into the phone. It's the fact that so many people use iCloud, which is unencrypted, that most, many, most, much of the time law enforcement doesn't even really need your iPhone necessarily. Uh, it's just supplemental. For example, even in the San Bernardino case, they first the first thing they did was they went to this to the the corresponding iCloud account and just captured everything with their warrant. And for all of the we will not unlock the phone stuff, they will hand over obviously all of the stuff in iCloud. And because Apple hasn't implemented encryption on any of that data, it's all plain text and ready to share. So any and there's plenty of I'm sure there's for most people there's in, who use iCloud there's plenty of incriminating things like your address book and all your contacts and whatever else gets synced up there a, a backup like, of your entire phone yeah and so it's all there right yeah. and so yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I have to that's, say, that's the other thing yeah I, as somebody who has the all Apple family um, not as only Apple but it's mostly Apple um, trying to, uh, to, to even trying to make sense of iCloud, I mean, is just bizarre. I, and it's, they make it so hard to use and make it, they make it the obscure. So like, first of all, they want you to use iCloud all the time and putting iCloud in the middle of everything. You plug in your phone, all of a sudden, your, all your photos are in iCloud and all of your photos are somewhere else. And if there's not enough storage on your iPhone, it won't erase them on your iPhone, even if you wanted to delete them and you did the delete thing as part of the, part of the copying over. I, I swear, I've, spent, I've probably spent a day in the last month on the phone with Apple trying to unscrew that shit. And, and that's just, has nothing to do with encryption or anything. It just has to do with making the damn thing work. Um, it's, it's way too complex. So I did, to me, a kind of takeaway from this is nobody is fully good at what they do, <laughs> you know, including, including the bad guys, including people who are, are pretend to be good guys that are actually bad guys in some other way, like, like celebrate. Yeah, I just wanted to hate on Apple a little bit just because they tend to get. Oh, the... go for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that was it. I just wanted to say it's not perfect. <laughs> oh my God, no, 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 not even, not even close. And, and and what there's a, there's a whole other subject, but they they implemented the don't the, the uh, uh, I think I was now 15. It's like 15 even is the is the new one. I haven't gotten it yet on my iPhone, but um, they haven't even prompted me for it. But it has the ID for advertisers as an opt in rather than opt out or something like that. But I've already seen because somebody showed it to me that they're that they have a you know a thing where ask Facebook not to follow you, not like tell them not to follow you, you know? And so it's like, oh my God, they're compromised too. And, and I mean, they're, and they want to be in the ad business still apparently. So that also creeps me out. Anybody that so, wants to be in the ad business is is creeping me into today. It's iOS 14.5 is the- Oh, four, this is so, a five in yeah. it. Okay, there, there you go. Yeah. yeah it, and, and yeah, when you, when you boot it up the first time or started up after the, like three hour update process on your phone. Well, I have an old phone. Oh, it won't take yeah. that long if you have a new phone. But um, 
it's yeah it asks you if you want to let people see stuff and i mean i say no but i don't know that it matters which is a sad testament to my confidence. Yeah, I, to me, the, the fact that the iPhone had something called ID for advertisers in your phone is horrible. It, it, it's unforgivable almost. You know, you don't have one in a Purism phone, right, Kyle? No, they just use a social security no. number there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, not only wouldn't we implement something like that, we, we couldn't at least from our corporate bylaws. I mean, that's, that would fundamentally mm. break everything that, you know, that we've said that we wouldn't do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I couldn't imagine implementing on purpose something that would uniquely identify. Well, here's the, here's the thing is that I, maybe we talked about this here in a previous, uh, a previous podcast, but that all of the cellular providers in the U S are doing the same thing. They've realized the value of assigning a unique identifier that that tracks your your IMS your NZ your IMEI basically all the unique identifiers that that have, tell one phone apart from another phone uh, on the network and linking it with your identity and then using all of that selling all of your whereabouts and all of that for advertising on their oh side. Oh my god! And all, I, and all three are partnering together on it. You know, all three do, uh, do, mobile. Do you have a link on that? Because I I have too many tabs open, so I need to refresh that. Um, I think that's true. And I think that's, there's a disease. I, I mean, advertising is a, is a cancer at this point. It's direct marketing. It's not, it's not, I mean, the advertising you see on the Super Bowl, provided you have a, a, a TV that's not tracking you is, is, is meant for whole populations and not for you personally. So that's relatively innocent. But all this stuff that's trying to track you is just wrong on its face and needs to die. And it's getting worse. I thought I keep thinking it's going to fail, but it's not. It's getting worse. It is getting worse. It really is. Yeah. And Amazon's in the business, and Apple's in the business. And what what makes it even worse than that is that, and this is kind of a, it's like there are four red herrings. You know, there, what, the way Amazon does advertising, Facebook, Google, and Apple are all totally different. They're totally different. To generalize about them is, except to say that, they're creepy in their own ways is wrong because they're all doing a different thing. Something else that I've noticed is I think that while people are, I think, as a whole, increasingly more concerned about privacy and, and blocking ads and those and those kinds of things, I think that it's still not enough. We haven't reached a that whatever critical uh, herd immunity or whatever number that is um, to make enough of an impact. I, I think the vast majority of people still have this sort of indifferent attitude toward it or they're either indifferent or they actually, you know, say, oh, well, I, you know, I like seeing relevant ads only or, you know, whatever it is. And okay, I, and so I just no, wonder just how they, we convince. It's, it, it, this is a tough one. I actually, oh, could, there was a, there was a study, I have a link to it somewhere, um, where if people are asked outright, do you want to be tracked? Period. 99% say no. Um, there was another study that said 97%. Um, yet, two specific cases here. I have a client, I will leave them nameless. That is all about, you know, the individual and being right by the individual, but they're still a B2B client and they're still a B2B company. They're not really financially obligated to, to uh, respect the individual, but they say they're all about that, but they have tracking on their, on their website. And, and, um, and it's the usual thing. They, they hire one of the aftermarket companies to put a, uh, a, a gauntlet on the front of the website that urges you to accept all these cookies. And so 
I've been talking with him about it. It's an ongoing conversation, but trying to get the, the marketing people there off of the idea that, oh my God, we have to have this data. We have to have this data. And, you know, we went through it with Linux Journal. You know, so we, we had, you know, the, you know, Google, Google Analytics is going to give us what we need to know about who comes back to the website and how often they come back and all this shit. And also they need to do retargeting. There's a, there's a really important nonprofit I know that does retargeting. They make millions of dollars off of it. And their whole thing is respecting the individual too. It's so hard to resist this stuff. And it's so normative now that it's very, very hard to fight it. And, and I've, I've actually arrived at the point, and we talked about this on another podcast uh, yesterday, <laughs> some of us did, <laughs> which is that I think the entire web, basically, and beyond that, even all the norms around the way we do, we've been using the internet so far, are just, we have to get around them. We have to get around the whole goddamn thing. It's so corrupt and it's so corrupting. It's just too, it's too hard to fight it. it be, and it, you're fighting the norms that are inside of it. And the norms start with, you are dependent, like you're dependent on all of your phone companies. As long as you depend on the phone companies and you can't stop them from tracking you and selling your, your data, screw you. You're, you, you lose. We need a way around that. So are we, yeah, hats are off we, to yeah. Purism for being one of the ones that do that. Yeah, We've drifted off Celebrite, well, but anyway, yeah. Well, in, in Catherine, to sort of go to your point about whether people tend to care about the privacy or not, I mean, I, I think and I've said this a couple sometimes before, but I think it's more that people just don't feel empowered to do anything about it. Yes. The, the yeah. thing, the evidence that I I point to over and over about why I think people do care about privacy, is how much of a fight these tech companies put into um, resisting any legislation that re would require opt-in for tracking. They always wanted to be yeah. opt-out, and the reason right. is the path of least resistance, right? But they also mm -hmm. know that if you got a pop-up saying, "Would you like to be tracked?" You would say, "No." Of no, course. Thank you. Of course, uh, yeah. but because it's the default, you're not going to go dig through the all of the check boxes and unchecked tr tracking, right. only to find out in some cases on Android. Well, if you did say don't track me, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not being tracked. You might still be being tracked, but just not by this program. It's just by the seven other programs. Right? You know, there's no. Yeah, yeah. but so to and me, at least one solution is to require opt-in. For tracking California's privacy law tried to do that in, in the draft form, but big tech, like I said, fought tooth and nail to get that removed, even though companies like Purism spoke to the assembly and said, no, you need opt-in and this is this will not kill these companies. This is, uh, you know, this is a necessary thing. And, but yeah, so they, they intentionally, were able, they were able to get it removed. And so now you have privacy laws, but it's all opt-out which means that it's not going to affect most people because it's it's buried somewhere to turn it all off. Right. I think, I mean, awareness and, and education is half half of the battle here too. And I, I think of, of, of issues, especially with regard to women in particular, being one, um, I think if you ask a group of women, are you okay with people having the ability to stalk you via your digital devices? They would say, oh God, no, that's creepy. Um, you know, I, I would like to feel safe in the world. And as a woman, I there are frequently occasions where I don't. Um, and 
But the problem is, is that when you reframe it by, to quote a uh, previous guest, uh, when marketers and Aaron chairs <laughs> reframe it as, no, but we're, we're, you know, we're, we're targeting you so that we, we show you things that are relevant to you. And, and, you know, we, we're only um, interested in, in what you're interested in. And, and, you know, we show you the right, the right advertisement for that couch you want. I mean, that's actually something that happens. Yeah. Well, and I mean, as a result, but, the tight. To tie a tidy bow in between this and the celebrate thing, uh, so we can loop it all the way back around. What this has created is this alternative data collection economy that now, when governments that have a celebrate device, maybe they can't get all the information that they wanted from the celebrate device. Maybe they don't have your individual phone, but maybe they don't need your individual phone because they can, even without being able to get a warrant, they can simply go buy all of the tracking information that advertisers yeah. have captured and, and stored with data brokers, and they can do an end run around the whole, around, you know, jurisprudence and yeah. the Fourth Amendment. But, that, there's a, but there's another issue, especially, I mean, that's not a, that's not a gendered issue in, in that case, but a lot of people would just say, well, but I'm, I, you know, again, I have nothing to hide argument. I'm not a criminal. Why should I be concerned what law enforcement is doing with, with marketing data? But at the same time, you're literally being stalked. And I, I don't know, I just, yeah. I, sometimes I feel frustrated by like by my desire to reach a certain group of people who I perceive as indifferent because I don't think that people really do understand the risk. I think that, you know, I think that people put too much faith in other humans um, that have, you know, once, once the capability is there, all it takes is one bad actor, you know? And well, yeah. And, and it's not just law enforcement that has this access, right? I mean, creepy stalkers yeah. Yeah, use creepy the same guy kind working of tools for the, to yeah, surveillance company or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Or or creepy. You have the creepy X who installs the, one of the gigantic suite of creepy apps that can track people on right. their X's phone, and then tracks their whereabouts and, and stalks them. You know, indefinitely. I mean, uh, yeah. There's it's it's a huge problem, and it's not necessarily yeah. we're not doing enough to address it. And the, all the women and, listening. And Catherine, like you said, though, I mean, I've heard multiple people say multiple times, I would rather have ads. I mean, I think when you install Microsoft Windows, I've had to do that, I've had jobs where I had to do that. Uh, one of the checkboxes is, would you like us to only show you targeted ads? And it seems, yeah, I only want, and and I've actually seen or heard the argument, well, that's I don't a, wanna see, that's a I don't wanna of see. bullshit thing, oh my it God. It is, yeah. but yeah. I mean, you know, you, the argument is, well, I don't wanna see boner pill ads, Right. I want, I mean, you know, I don't want my kids to see boner pill ads. I don't want to see ads for like, you know, hot imported wives or whatever. And so then they say, well, if we can track who you are, what you watch, we will only show you things that you're interested in because we want you to buy things. Why would we show you things you don't want to buy? That's a waste of our time. It's a waste of your time. So again, then advertisers seem like the good guy for like this is a curated list of things oh, that you curated. want. Yes, I, I mean, like it's easy to talk your way through that and sound like, well, I mean, they're going to track me anyway. So why not? Why wouldn't I want targeted ads? I mean, that yeah, logically, the, sure. The, but oh, my goodness. <laughs> which then sort of sidesteps. It's sort of like this false dichotomy of, well, would you rather have untargeted ads or would you rather have relevant ads? Well, of course, you'd rather have relevant ads. But the third option is, would you rather not have the ads at all and not have like the surveillance infrastructure that leads to all of that stuff? And I'm sure plenty of people would say, yeah, we'd rather have that too. That we're starting to get a kind of economy a little bit where people can, where it's 
people can pay to opt out of that stuff a little bit. Like the things can be funded outside of tracking and advertising in some models. There are at least some models out there that allow that. I'm somewhat hopeful that maybe some of that would be enough down the road to, uh, at least if there's an alternative, because the thing is there's, there's plenty, people made this argument even all the way back into Napster where, you know, when some, some kid, some 13 year old that was using Napster would get sued by, by the RAAA for all of these CDs, all these MP3s that they had for millions of dollars, right? And saying, well, you've infringed upon millions of dollars. Well, of course that kid um, in the absence of Napster would not have bought millions of dollars worth of CDs either, right? I mean, they may, there's probably plenty of, most of that, the music they had, they probably wouldn't have paid a cent for. You know, that's why I've never really been that concerned about people pirating my books because someone who wants to read my book and wants to support my book will buy the book. And if someone who's pirating it probably isn't necessarily someone who would have bought it to begin with. Maybe they couldn't afford it or maybe they wouldn't have wanted to. So I don't really concern myself with that, I guess. Awesome. It, 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 what, what it needs and what I'm beginning to think we'll never get because I've been fighting this. I counted now 22 years. That's um, the spirit. <laughs> yeah that's the spirit yeah it's like no white whale now to get <laughs> captain <A. laughs> white whale's not there you know or i might go out i might go down like him you know I, it it's it's that there's no good journalism on this i mean i, I should i should say there's some, I, should, I, I shouldn't say that because i've been trying to commit some for a long time but there's no no, there's no critical mass of it. And one reason is because all of the publications make money off of it. And it's a third rail they just don't want to touch. And, and it's too easy for them to go after the, the red herring of the fang, you know, Facebook, Apple, you know, whatever they are, not fang, uh, I don't know, whatever the four of them yeah. spell, you know, that it's Amazon. Yeah, oh, is Amazon it, N. I wondered. No, no, what's, no. N no. is Netflix. No, it's Netflix. 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 Amazon, That's Netflix, the TV and one. Sorry. Yeah, no, a is the... actually typically interchangeable. It can be Apple. Yeah, or it, it's depending uh, on the day. Yeah, it's, 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 it's yeah. It doesn't matter. The bigs it is is imagining that it's all about Google being bad and Facebook being bad, but it's so endemic. You know, it, it, you, if you're focusing on them and you let's break them up, you know, that's that's a big thing now. It's we got to break them up. Into what and what and how and why? Nobody, there is no jeweler made for that. And on top of which, there's just no way. No, no way. There's. It's so. It's so like here are four different kinds of fruit that are all fruit, but they're all different. And generalizing about them is wrong. Meanwhile, there are seven thousand companies doing exactly the same wrong thing, in a more or less consistent way. That, you know, that's what's behind every every time you click on those accept buttons. It's like, there's a whole bunch of parties you never heard of. There's not one of those four companies that's busy exploiting you. And, and, and nobody wants to talk about that. Just nobody. I always love talking to you do. guys. It's always so cheerful. And we're like, well, damn yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Yeah. We haven't solved anything. <laughs> Every time I go like, you know damn what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go to my farm and I'm going to live off the land. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, not no, with certain fine. tractors, because, you know, a lot of those you can't repair yourself now. Because right, the John Deere problem, the right? Was it John Deere? Yeah. Had, it's sweet that you think end. I could have repaired any of them ever, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think. Well, they're think all computers they... now. You can repair them. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> none of the none of the, <laughs> none of the machine part breaks. Just the computer part breaks just, now, and you have to so, go get hacked U- Ukrainian firmware so that you turn can it off and turn it back yourself. on. Generally, I think is the. <laughs> oh yeah, I, yeah. I think the important answer to to Sean, what you just said, though, I think that no, we're not saying don't use an iPhone and don't use iCloud and don't turn on advertising. I think ultimately, I mean, maybe we're a little bit, but ultimately, what we're saying. Uh, okay we kind of are but to a certain audience yeah that we're definitely saying that like i i don't want to participate in certain things you know and 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 uh yeah but really what we're saying is that we want people to at least know what they're getting into you know we want people to know what's going on we, we want people to at least consider the fact that they're being tracked and consider if that's something that they want to consent to and if their consent really means anything or not so i think that you know well, okay, maybe we are telling people not to. Do that. Yeah, <laughs> but we are telling think... them that. And and the thing is that they, I think opting in or out are both wrong. I think that they're, they're. You should be able to turn off the whole thing. Just turn it off. I I, I don't. I, I isn't isn't going to work. And I think you can with the iPhone with the IDFA. You can turn off the IDFA, and then that should take care of the problem to some degree, or at least some of the problem. Um, I'll just be the devil's advocate though. And I'm, I mean, the boner pills were a joke, but that means, so if I, if I have no data to target advertising and I'm an advertiser, I'm going to push my most profitable thing to the bulk of what information I know, like adults can afford phones. Adults are generally people who need boner pills. So all I'm going to do is push ads for boner pills. Would you like me to say boner pills one more time? Yeah, that's great. Boner <laughs> please, pills is fine. Please go ahead, um, go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, again, there's, it's all about, are, are you doing direct marketing or are you doing advertising? It's all called advertising. But some, but most of what's happened is, I, I'll put it this way. The, the most quoted thing I've written in the last 20 years is, is, um, Madison Avenue fell asleep, direct marketing ate its brain and it woke up as an alien replica of itself. That's, that's what we have now. We're dealing with the alien replica. We're not dealing with advertising as it used to be. In spite of the fact that not one brand known to the world has been made by tracking-based advertising ever. In fact, I addressed a class the other day in which the challenge to the students was name one brand that was made by tracking-based advertising and not one student could come up with it. In the meantime, however, all the brands and just everybody else, they want to do direct marketing. They all want to go straight at you for stuff that you've that they, that they think you might want to buy because they're tracking you. And the truth is, Facebook could do a really good job of that. And so can Amazon because you're already buying stuff from them. Um, Amazon could do a better job than anybody at that. And they're doing they're they're doing it a lot. They're they're giving you direct ads for things that you looked at or they think you might want to buy because you bought something like that on Amazon before. Um or what, just bought the same thing. And or just bought the same thing. And it's a whole other creepy thing with that. Yeah. The, the thing is that, you know, and, and I don't know what the hell Apple's going to do, but I, I, I know what, um, uh, you know, the, 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 what Google does is they basically follow you everywhere and they make some guesses based on that. But Google makes 80 or some percent, I don't know what it is, but it's a vast majority of its money from plain old search advertising, which is, which is based on you look for the height of some mountain and you're going to get hotels nearby. That's it. I mean, and, and, and the truth is all the tracking in the world is going to make that more accurate, especially if you're a kid who's looking up to do a book report on, you know, on something that had to do with that mountain. It's like, you know, and, and another fallacy behind it is that we're buying something all the time. We're not. Most of the time, we're not buying a damn thing. So speak for yourself. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I always, <laughs> I'm always buying something. I'm always, always buying something. Uh, yeah. 
but I mean, it, it, it's a t- here's another reason it's a tough one. I know two alpha geeks, um, one of whom I'm pretty sure is known to you guys too, and I won't name who it is, but who told me recently when I tried to recruit this person, I wouldn't even give the gender away, um, to the cause that I've been working on, said, I have to tell you, I really like targeted advertising. I have no problem with the whole thing. I totally trust Google. I trust Facebook. I trust all of them. They're really good at what they do. Don't give this person's name away, but let's assign them a UUID. What's that? (laughs) Don't give the person's name away, but let's assign them a UUID. Yeah. I think it's not uncommon. That really depressed me. It totally depressed me because this is a person I really wanted on our team. You know, and it's like, oh, God, you know, well, there we go. So I think that's the that's the thing. Going back to your on-off switch, yeah, we I think the four of us would all love for, for there to be a switch where we can just turn it all off and not and, and yeah, uh, like it, yeah. it it's like but never let it to exist, never let it come on. Period. But, you know, but it if, never comes on. In order on. for that to exist, I feel like the only way that that could ever happen is enough consumer demand or and, and right. the only and, way and that, that that's that going to really... happen is if we if they if people truly truly understand what we're giving up by participating in this ecosystem. Well, but well, let's, we have let's no say in theory that you, it, in theory, let's say that you created a phone that didn't have the notion of a tracking ID for advertising. I wonder, who, <laughs> who might have done something like that? Yeah, and, Hypoth- hypothetically. And you could, <laughs> you, hypothetically, you could just browse the web like it's a computer and maybe have ad block and all of this stuff enabled. And there's no, mon- there's no in- monetary incentive for an application on that device to track your data and sell your data because it's not part of the economics of that device. It's simply a computer. And then you're, you're, you just fall back to the traditional, I'm using the web and a website may try to track me. But again, there are tools that you can install in web browsers to limit of quite a bit of that um, and get a different experience. So I'm saying that, that to me, the key is putting the control back in an individual's hands to, to yeah. have the switch, you know, until the, the, the user needs to have the switch that could turn it on and off, but they need to have the control. And right now, most of the devices that people buy, the control is in the is in the vendor's hands. It's not in right. the user's hands. It's not yours the end at user, all. Yeah, it's not yours. Yeah. Like, for example, the, earlier you made the comment about, well, but they you can flip the switch that turns off the, the tracking ID. And uh, as far as we know, it does what it says it's going to do, right? And that's because there's no way for you to know and right. that's yeah, you'd have somewhat no intentional, there. right? You you are right. hoping that that's the case, uh, just like you're hoping when you turn off, you know, location services on a on an Android phone that it's actually doing it. But that in, in that case, it actually didn't do it, you know. But again, there's no way to audit those cases. So what you need is individuals to be be put back in charge of the devices that they have to own those devices instead of renting them, and then when they flip the mm-hmm. switch, it actually means something. So then what is ideal? Is is ideal where we go back to the soap opera type thing where, I mean, you know, soap operas had soap ads because, you know, housewives would stay home and would they would want to market to women at home who were washing their clothes. So thus the name soap opera. I mean, every website we go to then is going to be that, right? Like, well, what, what kind of what kind of people might visit our website? Yep. Uh, and then, you know, yeah. advertisers go after that. I mean, is that, is that the, the <laughs> that ideal? Is, that is, that's, ad, that's called advertising. That's called advertising. And, and is that, that, is that, our that ideal actually makes game. brands? Well, it, I, I think it's, I don't think that ever goes away, but I think that's, I mean, it, the weird thing is that's the first game. It could be the first game and it could be the end game. It could be, it would be the end game if in fact 
both customer demand and um, regulators together said, no more tracking, no more of that stuff. You, you have to ask for it. You know, it's not like you opted into it or you have to ask for it. I want this. I'm interested in advertising for this. And I think then we're looking at a completely different system. And you're going to have website um, owners, you know, who are, I mean, they, okay. So then we're Linux journal, you know, we're no longer in Linux journal, but we were. So then we're back to um, getting as much information as we can gather about our readership to try yeah. to get advertisers to give us money. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's well, there's still you know, a level for, of creepy still. It's just, we're not directly taking it from the phone. It's, it's not what? creepy. I mean, for a narrow, for a narrow casted publication like Linux Journal, it's not hard. We're after Linux users, you know, yeah. we're after people who care about Linux. There's a lot of things, ways you can characterize so, that. And so we were starting- are okay. I the, mean, how, how much information does Linux Journal, I, I, this theoretical in the past Linux Journal that doesn't exist now, yeah, um, you think, know, how much information can we gather on our users and how much is, is fair for us to share with advertisers, right? We have all, you know, like, 82% male readership. Is that something that we know? Oh, hell no. Is, we had 99. It was like uh, 90, and, yeah, 98. Okay. It, on yeah, a good it, day, okay. it was 96, maybe. Um, so boner but, pills. But, no, yeah, boner pills. Yeah, we yeah, should have been pills. selling uh, no, Viagra but, ads for sure. I know. So I, I yeah. just, but, you know, the, the creepy factor is still there a little bit. Not as, it's no, not as directly creepy, but I, I think it is. How much information do, well, but, uh, it, but, but what if, if you're in a seller's market, okay, how, how much, I mean, how hard does it have to be to sell a Super Bowl ad? You know exactly who's, who's watching. I mean, it's, not, it's a similar thing. You got sports fans watching. So you advertise on there. I mean, it's- but, And when, here's the other thing is in your example, we, you wouldn't actually know necessarily that demographic data because- That was my you're question. Just getting so, yeah, you're just getting someone using a web browser that's visiting, you know, this person had this web browser, maybe. You like the contents of web logs. The way that you know all that demographic data is through the creepy tracking. You know, otherwise you're just making assumptions and guesses, which is how <laughs> how it used to be, right? Not you're just saying, well, well and when we think, I mean, you can send customers, out surveys and stuff, but. Yeah, with paid customers, you know, we would, I mean, that, that I guess that, that was my point is how much information, is everything anonymous then? I mean, if I subscribe to a, a magazine, you know, do I have them send it to uh, a random PO box with a UUID instead of my name? And so that they, you know, there's no demographics or, or do they, I, I don't know. I mean, there's still you have a to level trust of them not to give up your name, but I, ideally what would happen when you subscribe to something is that you would have an agreement with them that says you're not selling this, to, this to anybody. We don't have that either for the most part. You know, a, a lot of the things we subscribe to do sell our, do sell our addresses and so forth. So that's, I mean, the the selling of personal data goes back a long way. Heck, I mean, there are states that that uh, that sell um, driver's licenses, of hunting licenses, all kinds of things. I, I worked for a brief time consulting Axiom, which is one of the more evil companies out there, because they were wanting to change their evil ways. And when they told me what all they collect, I mean, there are states that sell personal information have been doing it for many decades. And, it, and it, that's not right either, you know? So to me, it's like, if we're gonna get serious about privacy, we have to go all the way back. We have to go back to, you know, to not just so much go all the way back. We have to spread it out to the physical world as well. So I, think I guess- though, because we're- Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I think because we're so ingrained, we're so 
much a part of of this um, creepy tracking method of getting of getting demographic information. We've kind of forgotten the way that we used to do it a hundred years ago, which was we would just ask people. You know, you we didn't have to to stalk them to find out this information. We could, you know, if you have a reasonable sample size, you we would just put out a. a a survey to our readers or you know our, our web vid- visitors and and just ask them politely <laughs> they could uh, they could mm. participate or not and you know and that was very valuable information and we didn't have to do anything shady to get it yeah and an interesting thing too and maybe i'm wrong about this you guys may know more than about it than i do but i believe we were on our way to being at least treading water if not profitable selling plain old advertising at linux journal before we got killed were we selling advertising? I don't even remember. Oh no, we were. We had like, a, we had an advertising. Like we actually had somebody who was the head of advertising. No, I'll have to ask really? Carly. About yeah, it. I mean that that was that was know. my understanding was that it was it was very close. There's you know basically, yeah, that it would have been possible to be kind of break even or stay afloat. Right. With a yeah, little we, bit we had sponsors. We had people. Yeah, and, that, and we that's did it. that's what it was. I mean, it was. Our yeah, sponsors, we had but... um we we had removed all. We didn't have an ad server, so there was no uh there were. It was just you, you, a fixed spot. If you if you wanted to sponsor the publication, you had a fixed um, logo or, or whatever that w- that would appear on all pages or some pages or whatever. And that that's at that point what we were doing. We didn't have any kind of trackable ad server, which was nice actually. It was. Um, and, and here, I mean, this is you know the depressing thing. I know we're kind of probably getting close to the end here too, but um, we were trying to do things right, and we're no longer in business. But I think but, the, re- the um, reason the reason we're no longer in business is not because we tried to do things right. I think it was a, a really yeah, there it was more a, to a, that. Yeah. It, it was it was a wacky thing that happened that's probably not worth going into. But it it was it was not. I don't think it was not our fault. I don't think it had anything to do with trying to do things right. I think it had to do with, for whatever reason, the company that owned us wanted to kill it, at that time, and you know they had their reasons, but they were nothing to do with us. Yeah, we may. The world may never know. I wouldn't assume that it was because uh, because that was a faulty model, though. I think people want to support good content at some level. Yeah, they do. I, I so think anyway, are like inherently generous, actually. Yeah, I, yeah, they are. I give people the benefit of the doubt on that. Yeah, speaking I'm an, of which, I'm an optimist in spite of my cranky. We, we we have some new uh patreon 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 i don't even know how to say that um we have some new uh generous people uh, contributing to our podcast so thank Fantastic. you to those people yeah i know it's pretty exciting hi people and thank you that's great yeah and and at some point i will um investigate other methods that are not that particular site patreon i mean well we'll mm-hmm. think of other ways if you guys want to be generous to us that would be nice <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah, I think yeah. We, as Sean said, we've been talking for possibly forever because there's so much. There's always so much when we get together. But um, yeah, so the celebrate thing is problematic. Advertising is problematic. I think that's the the summary here. What's the takeaway? And also boner pills. And also boner yeah. pills. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. I'm so problematic glad. sounds <laughs> like a like a product you could sell. Pro- a problematic. Buy the new problematic. It vacuums and dusts. If, th- if things aren't bad enough for you, there's the problematic. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. If, if you've made it this long, thanks for hanging in with us while we uh, solve the problems of the world or attempt to. Uh, and we or look forward. At least forward... name them. At least name them. Name them <laughs> loudly. 
speak well, their welcome names to the depression podcast where we talk about no, the downfall of civilization and it's informational <laughs> we'll never get that off switch if people don't know if people don't know they want it we'll never get it so yeah. on that note thanks for joining us and we will see you hear you listen to you we'll talk at you next time thanks